Hey friends, this is Anthony Skinner, producer of Typology. We've got a great show for you today, but first I'd like to remind you about our Patreon campaign. If you aren't familiar with it yet, Patreon is a great way for you to support content you love like Typology on a monthly basis. For as little as a dollar a month, you can partner with us and help us cover the costs for stuff like studio time, post-production editing, fees to license our music, and all the other stuff it takes for us to produce each episode of Typology. All you have to do is go to www.patreon.com forward slash typology. That's www.patreon.com forward slash T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y and select the level at which you want to support the show. And you will not only receive our undying love and gratitude, but you're going to get a bunch of great bonus content as well. Even a dollar a month, folks, is a huge, huge help. And now, as promised, we'd like to give a shout out to a few amazing folks who have already contributed to Patreon. Thomas Floyd, Jonathan Butrin, Molly Davis, Noel Young, Cosmina Vuk, Kay Anderson, Kelly Clemens, Caleb Billman, Candy Annette, Rebecca Harmon, JC, and Suzanne Chiopka. Your contributions to Typology are so greatly appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, the host of Typology, Ian Crum. Hello there, Typology friends. Welcome to this week's episode. Today is like a thrill for me to have three fives with me on Typology. Um, because number one, it's hard to find fives who are willing to go on a podcast. You know, I, I, you know, it's, it's for whatever reason, we could probably speculate, right, yeah. as to the reason. I'm thrilled because we have a woman five in the wow. room. And I know a lot of guy fives and not a lot of women fives. I could say the same. Is that true? Yeah. I don't wow. know. I actually don't know any women fives. Uh, well, no, that's not true. Okay. I know a couple. All right. So let's just, I mean, I've already introduced you uh, previously, but I want you all to just go around and tell us who you are. And, uh, and what might be fun is, what was the penny drop moment for you when you thought, that's it, I'm a five. I am an observer uh, or, and by the way, I have moved from calling fives investigators to observers. Uh, for a whole host of reasons we could explore if you want, but um, I think that's a little bit more accurate in some ways. Um, so let's go around. Joel, let's start with you and uh, tell us who you are and the penny drop moment. Uh, I'm Joel Miller, and I've been um, living in the Nashville area for the last umpteen years. I started off in California and drifted through Oregon and landed here all the while dragging a lot of books with me. <laughs> and the penny drop moment um, was probably uh, around that idea and then also the energy idea. I thought I was a nine for a while, very mm. brief while. Um, and I had all kinds of ways I rationalized that. <laughs> um, but really what it was uh, was the energy question. And... I'm always protecting myself against draining things, which can be anything. 
um, in any given moment, I can turn anything into an energy drain. And so uh, my wife would just check me on it here and there. And the more she checked me on it, the more I realized that's really true to who I am. Mm. I do it all the time. Is that, uh, well, we'll come around to that again. Yeah. But I'm, I'm be curious, I think people will be curious to know what are the main drains, you know, for a five. So, Kenny, on to you. Uh, I'm Kenny Binge. Uh, I've also lived here in the Franklin, Nashville area since 1985 with a brief stint overseas. Um, four adult children, wife Laura, who's a seven. Uh, undergrad degree, worked in chemical engineering in the petroleum industry for a couple of years, and then have been in vocational ministry in pastoral roles as well as campus ministry at three different universities. Wonderful. My, I've known I'm a five ever since I discovered the Enneagram. I don't ever remember having any doubts about it, but I would say the penny drop moment for me where it really became much more activated and really drew me into the Enneagram was understanding the withdrawing stance. Mm. And the question was posed to me, just pay attention to how much, how often you withdraw either physically or mentally. Mm. That was a huge aha moment. So for those of you who don't know, when we talk about stances, um, fours, fives, and nines are in the withdrawing stance. We should do a whole show on stances. Maybe you can come back, Kenny, and we can do it together. Um, so fours, fives, and nines tend to, particularly in stress, right, or in just in life in general, I think, withdraw, right? They don't go toward people. They, they withdraw physically, uh, emotionally. You know, they go inward, right? Is that a fairly good, Absolutely. quick description? Yeah? Okay. Lori, how about you? Yeah. My name's Lori Chaffer. Um, I'm a singer-songwriter. And, and a great one. Oh, you're very sweet. Um, I moved to Nashville in 2009, uh, and we came from Kansas City. I'm married to Don Chaffer, who is a four- and he's crazy, um, and I love him. And then I have two kids, uh, a boy, 13, and a girl, 11. My penny drop, there were two of them. One was you were talking to Dawn, actually, one night, and we both thought we were fours, and you said, that seems unlikely because that's a hard combination. Um, and then you asked several questions, and one of them was, does she? Does it look like the curtains come down at a certain point when you're talking about your emotions? <laughs> and he was like, absolutely. <laughs> and then you said, I have one word for you to, uh, to describe her, tired. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm exhausted. Well, one of my favorite lines was, uh, you know, and, and so everyone knows Don's one of my closest friends, um, and I have such an affection for him. And, but one of my favorite, we were in the Home Depot parking lot, which for some reason, Don and I often land up in having very deep conversations yeah, in the Home Depot right. parking lot. And uh, I said, uh, uh, or, or no, I'm sorry, a couple of days later, when you guys had sort of worked this through, he said, uh, Lori says that if I can get, what was it? You know what I'm going to say? No, if I, I can get to I'm 11 o'clock, <laughs> if I can get to 11 o'clock with you without, you're completely draining me with <laughs> demands for emotional connection. I can actually make it to pick the kids up at three. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. That's, That's true. awesome. Yeah. So um, fives, it's been said, 
are the most, particularly in relationships, the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram. Hmm. And I would just love to have you respond to that. And is it true? And if so, what, what's been your experience? Why? And uh, so I open the floor. I want to know what that means. Like, what do you mean? Like people think they're one way and they're actually another way? No, um, I think in terms of relationships, literally people don't understand okay. fives. Yeah. What do you all think? I'll take a stab. Uh, the often people think fives don't have emotions. And I'm always just like shocked because I, I'm very sensitive and deep feeling. But it's that we're not as expressive of emotion, so people just don't see it. Mm. And we're pretty reluctant to share them unless it's in a trusted situation. Mm. Do you, as is a uh, characteristic of fives, delay emotions? Can you, in the moment, not have them and then think your way to them a couple of days later? Or? I don't know how not to do that. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm always jealous of people who can be immediately aware of their feelings that I, I we had a, when we lived in Nashville in the early in the mid 80s we had a, a dog who was hit by a car and he died mm. I did a little funeral ceremony in the backyard all of my children and my wife were weeping I was kind of doing you know the thing and then about two weeks later I was having devotional and I was just like stuck I couldn't go anywhere all of a sudden I thought I feel sad <laughs> <laughs> and oh. just started crying, but it was like two weeks later. Wow. Huh. 100%. I mean, I feel like I'm always three to five days behind everybody else yeah. in my ability. Or if not that, it's – I often leave a social setting or time with a friend and text them later and express how I feel about them Right. because <clears throat> it's really hard for me to look them in the eye and say – kind things um i think of don and i have talked about this a lot where cordelia from king lear like she can't express how she feels about her dad um i feel like that's like our patron saint because i feel deeply about people but it feels too vulnerable or too trite almost to to say how i feel about them to them hmm. do you know do you guys feel that absolutely okay, okay. <laughs> Joel, you look like I'm you want to say one. something. I'm glad. Yeah, I I resonate with that also. Um, and it's funny with uh, my wife, Megan, sometimes she will, uh, Megan's a four, and she will react in a moment uh, very viscerally to something, and I won't. And she'll look at me and she'll say something like, I'm so tired of getting angry for you. And, <laughs> and she wants me to kind of like step into my anger on certain things and I'm just not there and I don't know how to get there. I mean, I could probably argue myself into it, um, but it wouldn't feel authentic. And so sometimes I do feel very deeply, but other times uh, I feel disconnected from emotions that people think I should have, hmm. which is odd. And then I'm, you know, kind of having this debate in my mind about whether or not I'm wrong or if I'm not doing enough or if I need to figure out how to do whatever I'm supposed to do. And then that just becomes this, you know, crazy making cycle. Mm. So funny as a four, and I know Megan too, and, and there would be some 
dissonance right between a four and a five on yeah. uh, discussing emotions because fours are so exquisitely attuned uh, in a and really awash yeah in emotions um it it would seem to me as you talk about going up into your mind right as a four i would immediately have a lot of emotions about someone saying that to me hmm. like hmm. i would be like ashamed would be my first feeling and then maybe angry and then sad and then you know mm. and then i would think second about mm. it you immediately talked about thinking first about it not feeling as a response to her saying why yeah. don't you have more feelings i think i use my mind to sort out my feelings mm -hmm. and so i have the feelings they're all there they're laying on the table and they're a mess and so i have to sort of figure out how they fit together so fives are sometimes called the observers, as I said earlier, um, which I think is actually a better quote-unquote moniker or label. I hate label, but that's for sake of ease, I think. Um, is it because you're, are you observing your feelings? Like, is it like they are separate from you and you're, you're kind of looking at them and trying to sort them out? Yeah, yeah. And okay. I think I'm really careful about... Um, I have a lot of opinions. I'm probably one of the most opinionated people I know, but I'm also really careful with my opinions that they're fair, or if they're not fair, they're at least arguable. Hmm. And so <laughs> when I try to sort out those emotions, I have to have a theory that makes them make sense. And and yeah. I don't like the idea that I'm just going to have all these random feelings that can't be explained. Mm. So it sounds like in uh, as a group, you would say that maybe one of the points of misunderstanding on the parts of people is simply that they don't understand um, your uh, your relationship to emotions. Mm. Yeah. Is that is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Kenny, you make a great point, which is they do tend to feel as though people that that fives are very aloof, you know, and and loners who um, are hard to break through to you know it's like the engage like how do i engage with this person it feels like there's a barrier i'm trying to bust through all the time to to reach them hmm. right yeah and my wife we're so attuned now that she can tell when i cease being present to her she can mm. even though i'm still there still having the conversation she knows all the signs of when i've sort of <laughs> withdrawn or I've run out of energy for the conversation and I have to like go do something else. So that brings up a really great point, which is this whole issue of fives feeling that the world is chaotic, unpredictable, intrusive, mm -hmm. uh, fearful that it will be engulfing, right? Um, and <clears throat> that they have to uh, this sort of anxiety that they don't have the inner resources to uh, meet the challenges of, of life, particularly in the sphere of relationships. Um, and I'm always so curious about this. Like, when we say inner resources, like, what is that? Is it life force? Is it, what is the, the thing that is uh, depleted? What, what gets depleted? I think for me, I have so many thoughts going on in my brain that when there's too much chaos outside, that it's just, uh, it feels chaotic everywhere, mm. you know? And so 
I mean, that's one thing. I think the other thing is I just feel, um, I remember reading that competence is a really high value for a five. And so I think one of the reasons it took me a while to figure out I was a five is that they always talk about fives as being brilliant. And, you know, and I was like, I'm pretty average. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I'm a dummy, but I'm just not like, you know, a rocket scientist. So, um, but I think, but something I do value is not being looked like, I mean, to not look like a fool or to not do something stupid or, and I often, because there's so many thoughts in my brain, it feels like a highway where there's like five lanes of cars trying to get out one door. I mean, not one door, one road. See, there you go. Uh, one road and they're all converging out my mouth. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Mm. Like I can't find the words. And my family laughs at me because I say words like, go get the hooli holly over there or, you know, the whatchamacallit. Because <laughs> I just can't even do that sometimes. And so... I think because of all of those things, I find myself exhausted just trying to keep it together mm. in a public place or with people, unless I really, really trust them. And then I can kind of let it all go because they can see my quirks and be like, oh, that's just you. You have your own language. You mm. know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. And you just actually made a penny drop for me, which is I feel the same way about emotions. Oh, yeah. That makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. I mean, I have so many emotions that I don't know which one to pick and talk about first. Yeah, you yeah. have so many thoughts that you don't know which one to pick out. And, yeah. you know, they're all trying to, I love that getting out one door. Yeah. But there's five lanes of traffic trying to get yeah. out of one door. Yeah. yeah. You were, you guys were both nodding your head as Lori was, was, was talking. What, what was happening for you just then? I was just thinking about the, just that cacophony of, of thoughts. Um, it's funny, I, every now and then I'll read monastic literature and there's, you know, lots of comments uh, by various practitioners uh, who will say things about, about our thoughts, like all the noise in our heads. Mm -hmm. And they talk about letting thoughts just pass through your head and being aware <laughs> that they're there and all of that. And I think you apparently are a Jedi master at managing that because I can't do that. I'm not, I'm aware of all those thoughts, but they're playing havoc uh, with me a lot of times. And when I'm, when I am my best, I've got a pretty good handle on most of them and I know how they fit together. And, you know, in a professional environment, that's super helpful because I'm the one making connections that other people are missing. Cause I've got, you know, you know, more crazy uh, things going on in my head and I can like latch hold of things and put stuff together. Um, but in your personal life or when you just want to turn it off, it's not so easy to turn off. Interesting. Kenny, what about you? Because you were nodding. Yeah, I, I totally resonate with the, I think the competency issue is, is definitely a part of it. There's a fear of being incompetent. And so there's this, you know, con continual preparation for something in the future. Uh, and it, but at the same time, it's, there's sort of this sort of counterintuitive thing of scarcity. So the scarcity is one of the fives. That's kind of their passion or sin. Um, but what I always find is it's when I move toward people or when I connect with God, then I have the freedom to be who I need to be in the moment. But there's this constant fear that I won't be enough or know what to do, whether 
all across the board, whether it's public speaking or in a relational context. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's that scarcity and abundance. Practicing abundance is uh, one of my most important spiritual practices and being reminded yeah. of God's abundance. Mm. That is fantastic mm-hmm. because you are really speaking about into this sort of characteristic or hallmark feature of fives, right, which is this uh, belief that there's just not enough. There's just not enough in me to meet life head on and to make that transition as a spiritual discipline, regardless of your faith tradition or background, that that there's abundance and that the spiritual calculus of the universe is that the more you give, the more you get, ironically, you know? Right. So here's something fascinating I just realized. You three are all from or in, in deeply involved in liturgical traditions, right? Hmm. That's fascinating. Like, Joel, you're Eastern Orthodox or Orthodox, right? And Kenny, you're an Anglican priest. Laura, you're involved in an Anglican mm-hmm. uh, church. I would... It's now, not if I an were, accident. Right. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I want to just talk about that for a second, because regardless of whether a person is a person of faith or not, this actually, I think, is fascinating, because I, I would think... Fives would be very attracted to the Reformed tradition, which tends to be very much up in its head, right? Lots mm. of thinking about doctrine and sort of logic and how, mm. you know, even down into the minutia of the operations of, of God. What is it about that you are floating in a very four atmosphere, it seems to me, in the liturgical traditions? What, what is the attraction to fives with that? I'll, I'll start. Um, I was reformed and migrated out of that tradition because it, it wasn't enough spiritually for me. I, I, um, I would be in a place of real dryness spiritually, and the only thing I knew how to do was go read another book. And that didn't satisfy, and eventually it became so self-defeating that there were times where I wondered if I even believed anything anymore. And it was through praying the 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 hours, um, particularly morning prayer. Uh, I started off in the Anglican uh, side of things, um, but it was going through morning prayer every morning um, that eventually I found where I belonged, mm. and it was rich, and there was um, so much beauty in in the words and the way they were. Uh, the way they were composed, and there was so much beauty in just people gathering at church to to do their prayers, and um, it it changed everything for me. Mm. Hmm. What about you, Kenny? Yeah, so pretty soon after I came to faith in college, I had a pretty big intellectual crisis and discovered C.S. Lewis. And to make a long, you know, a long journey, sort of more succinct his what I would call sacramental vision of the world sort of deeply impacted me. And I also, I have a reformed part of my journey and in some ways still would say I'm in some ways reformed, but um, the sacramental piece was really important. So the first time I walked into an Episcopal service in 1986, there was just something different. And the way I described it at the time was, this is the only place my head and my heart come together. 
Wow, that is amazing. The only place my head, so it's a real place of refuge for you. Yeah, worship-wise, there's, there's just something about liturgy and sacrament that brings things together in a way that the other traditions did not for mm. me. How about you, Laura? Is it- yeah, I, I may disagree with myself tomorrow about this one because I haven't thought about it a ton. But I feel like the Anglican thing for me is that it forces discipline, and I'm not great at that um, regarding both community. Like, I have to make myself be social, um, and there are certain aspects of the Anglican thing that uh, make me be part of the greater community. Um, even in the service, like I mm. speak with people and I, we, you know, are speaking the same thing again. <laughs> and uh, so there's an aspect of that that I love. There's an aspect of that that's really hard for me because I feel sometimes bored with the words. Mm. Um, and I feel like it is so much in my brain uh, because it's so wordy at times that that's hard for me. Um, but I'm trying to learn to embrace that. And also, oh, I lost the thought. Um, trying to get through that door. All oh of them getting man, through that door. Oh, man, there's so many thoughts about it. Seriously, <laughs> that was the first thing I thought. Too many thoughts, too many thoughts. Um, but there is a beauty to it, too, that is beyond. Uh, it's not people just making something up again. It's part of a long, long tradition. So that, for me, feels both a place of safety and also a place of, I still have some real cynical parts of me like there are times I think oh this was made by a bunch of white guys so it's only partly true you know right. so and I mean that I'm just being honest here um so but I think there's something about the discipline of even that like it doesn't matter it's it's something mm. <laughs> just pick something so I don't you, know if any of that made sense oh it so. totally <laughs> did anyway. totally did so interesting you know Sometimes. I'm not saying, by the way, that it's all made by a bunch of white guys. In Pretty much, of, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, they're, <laughs> it's still Holy Spirit-inspired. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying it's, right. you know. Yeah, totally. Man-made. So, interesting, people tend to think of the fascination with beauty as a in the sole province of the force. You know, they're, they're, and all three of you use that word. And I, my experience has been, Actually, that fives are remarkably attuned and responsive to beauty, aesthetics, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Is that is that part of your experience? I mean, I just heard all three of you use the word beauty. Yeah, I'll start. Um, and I've told this story before. You've heard it. But as a young child, I before I went to school, in elementary school in the mornings, my parents had given us uh, world book encyclopedias. And so I would pick out a different letter each morning and just read it. And it's hard to describe why that was so engaging, but it was a kind of an aesthetic experience. Wow. Knowing and discovering the world. And I'm, commi- I'm convinced that people who go into science, they go into a certain field because of, initially because of a sense of wonder that that field brings to their consciousness, and that's what draws them into it. Mm. Joel, how about you? I, I picked it up strongly in your words. Well, the, the line that you said earlier about competence, 
I, I think factors for me. I love seeing people that are proficient in whatever they do. I get a lot of joy and um, excitement actually in watching people do things really, really well. And beauty comes out in music or in art in ways that it only could reach the pinnacle of the of the perfection that it is in the hands of people that really know what they're doing. And I listen to music uh, all day long. Okay, so what, what kind of music huh. really just... Uh, I mean, all kinds of music. Um, this morning I was listening to uh, Daryl Anger and Mike Marshall. I love acoustic jazz. I love all, I love all kinds of jazz, actually. And I love, um, I love classical music, and I love modern classical. Uh, Arvo Pert is mm. um, a, oh. a master. There's so much great stuff out there, and you can immerse yourself in it all day long and participate in all this beauty, and it's all done by people who are at the peak of their abilities. And watching people work or participating in people working at the peak of their abilities is an amazing experience. Mm. Yeah, I think for me it kind of breaks the spell um, of my mind. Mm -hmm. So I think of myself as divided into heart, mind, and body. And I am doing, uh, actually not, yeah, gut, heart, mind, and gut. I'm either in one or the other a lot of times. And um, beauty kind of puts them all together and makes it, all the noise go away. Man, I'm getting insight after insight here. <laughs> like, it's so awesome. Um, because I think one of the great things about, you know, if we think about the transcendentals, right? Beauty, truth, and goodness. I love that. I get just wives are all nodding their heads. We <laughs> yeah. know that. Yes, we know about the transcendentals. Uh, and I, but I think that, uh, you know, fives might be romanced by truth, you know. Um, but the beauty of beauty is that it, it, uh, it doesn't come in the front door of the intellect where your critical filters can actually block it out, right? You can disagree with it, you can argue with it, you can feel, but beauty comes in the back door of the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like it just sneaks up on you and the, it turns lights on. And that's probably the moment for fives where they're like, ah, illumination, right? Mm -hmm. So how awesome is that? That's so great, yeah? So... I just thought about something. Um, I remember we having, know you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the '80s at this Episcopal church, uh, I was having this conversation with this priest, and we were talking about music that engages us. And he was really taken by contemporary praise music, praise choruses, because they. He was he was a probably a heart triad guy, and just immediately connected with the, that music. And I'm like, no, my I'm, my heart is really engaged through hymns. Hmm. And, and often that's one of the ways I access my emotions is that in worship there's a connection and a release, and often it's sort of a cathartic thing. Mm -hmm. I can't totally identify all the emotions that are coming out and what they're connected to, mm -hmm. but they're all mixed together, and, and it's, it's sort of a way of breaking through to my heart again. Yeah. Mm. That's really great. So for people listening uh, I, who are fives, right, and people trying to understand fives, I think maybe the one really wonderful point of connection that they don't consider is meeting them on the plane of beauty hmm. and appreciating together with them the things. I, I, I can't tell you how many fives I meet who love Bach hmm. for all the obvious reasons, that mathematical 
beauty then beauty comes through this amazing oh gosh very five-ish um kind of perfect symmetry like tonal symmetry in the in the counterpoint and everything going on at at, at once and jazz i know so many fives who love bebop right they love john coltrane they love miles they they love all of that that kind of uh, free form but yet very disciplined uh, thing at the, that's going on at the same time. So, um, another question I, I want to ask you is, what were you like in elementary school? Ooh. Like, how how did what was school like for you as fives? I don't remember. Like, I have a terrible memory, um, but I I remember in junior high. Like, I don't remember elementary very well, but junior high, I remember. I thought there's a system <laughs> to how people become accepted and popular and I'm going to figure out that system. And so one of the things that I observed was people wear certain clothes and they don't wear them too many days in a row <laughs> or whatever. So I had a calendar that I filled out what I was wearing <laughs> and it was color coded. <laughs> this is like the classic. <laughs> and I thought if I do this, I did this for like maybe a month or two. If I do this, then, you know, I'll be accepted and normal because I don't understand how people work and how this all social thing works. And so I feel like that's like sometimes how I dealt with the being stuck with people all day long. I would just try to figure out how does this function? Mm. So I don't know. I uh, I played a lot of chess and spent a lot of time in the library, <laughs> which worked out. But um, I don't actually remember the the feelings of what I would now call being a five or whatever. Um, I don't remember any of that at the time. I was not self aware enough to I think connect with that. Um, I was uh, I think more extroverted the younger I was, and the older I've gotten, the less uh, extroverted I I am. I'm now so thoroughly introverted that I could go all day without seeing people and probably be okay. As long as I did get to see my wife at some point in there, she's uh, a bright light in my life. But um, otherwise I could, I could go for, you know, days potentially um, without seeing folks. When I was a kid, that wasn't the case. And I think it was in my high school uh, period and into college where those elements of being a five really became, became uh, pronounced. Hmm. Um, I, I was good at sports, and so that sort of helped. It, I sort of had an alter ego. Um, and, and when I think about my education, I sort of had two things going on as well. There was kind of what you learned in class, mm -hmm. but I had a whole other program that I just yeah. learned on my own. Your own deal. Loved the library summers would check out eight to ten books every two weeks read them and my mom would take me back they'd be sports stories they'd be science fiction fantasy all that kind of stuff and so friend wise I had sort of alter ego friends so I I had these one, my sports friends and it was kind of the popular crowd and I was sort of a certain person there and then I had these other friends who were like nerds like I was a nerd the valedictorian of our high school was one of my best friends we like listened to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and tried to write down the lyrics. Mm. <laughs> and I had 
I really got attracted to chemistry, uh, rocks, uh, you know, all sorts of different science stuff. I had a chemistry lab in my garage when I was in middle school. By the time I got to high school, I probably knew more than my chemistry teacher. Wow. So this, again, hallmark feature of fives is this avarice or this greed, if you will, for picking up or hoovering information up, <laughs> knowledge, mastery, and particularly in niche subjects. So you just triggered that for me about rocks, you know, or, you know, I knew a five who was like an expert on this particular fungus that grew at the bottom of elm trees, you know, it's like, and knew everything about it. And in moments of stress would give you a two hour, you know, symposium on this uh, rare subject that he knew a great deal about. So do you have a niche area? And tell me a little bit about this knowledge hoarding. Like what, what is, what's the driving thing behind it for fives? Um, I'm going to first say something about books in general, which is that I have a very complicated relationship with books because <laughs> they, they have personalities and they have a way that they look at you. And when That's I That's unbelievable what you just said. <laughs> I love that. When I see a bookcase full of disparate ideas, I have arguments in my head with those books about how they can fit together, how the argument of one is reconciled with the argument of another, or how history from one vantage point can still look like it makes sense over here with this other one. And so books accuse me all the time for not doing enough work on their behalf to like help them bridge the gaps. And it's complicated. So I definitely have deep dive topics uh, that I'm interested in. One of them is actually books. I love the history of publishing, the history of, mm. of literature, and um, I could tell you a lot about that. I love that. Um, but one thing I've just recognized as I've been marinating in that for a long time is just like the personality of books. They, they have a presence that is like a person in your house. And when you have a bookcase or bookcases with sometimes thousands of them, there's a lot of conversations happening in any given room. I really love that with all my heart. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me why. What's well? I think for me is I, I really don't feel like I'm an expert at anything, but I do feel very ADD about book reading. I will read ten pages of a book. Like today, I knew I had thirty minutes. I thought I had thirty minutes between the time I dropped off my kids and the time to be here. And I packed five books because I didn't know which one I wanted to read, but I knew I wanted to read something. And and I feel like I never get through, but I have a very strong affinity for certain books. Like they're my books. They're not anybody else's books. And so for me, my the thing I've been obsessed with, it's kind of similar. Um, I'm obsessed with the idea that people can hear the same information and have totally opposite opinions. My whole life I've been like, how can this be? <laughs> and and so for me, I was really into anthropology in college, and that hmm. was what I wanted to do. And I just thought it wasn't practical. Which Jane Goodall. Is, yeah. So oh, my gosh, the observers. Music is way more practical. But, <laughs> you know, so oh. it was a war between music and, and that. Uh, but... Uh, but I'm fascinated by human nature. Like, why do people do crazy things? Why do cultures do crazy things? It, I think it's my way of solving the, the, um, the stress of evil. 
Mm-hmm. Like for me, I look at evil and I go, there's got to be an answer as to why this happens because it's just not mm. right. Oh, man. So. There are so many good things flying around this room for people to understand fives. I mean, I'm so excited for people to hear this this conversation. Um, Kenny, did you want to say something about, about that? It's just remarkable. To, I, I said this earlier before we started, but just to be in the room with fives is so <laughs> awesome because I totally relate to the book thing. Like my books are my friends, and they're organized, and they remind me of certain things, just the visual. Mm-hmm. Of, and, and I've read most of them, and I, I have this sort of connection. Um, uh, and so one of my sort of now, uh, almost 20 years now, I've been a, I'm an avid bird watcher. And it started because I recognized being outdoors needed to be some kind of a spiritual practice for me. And so birding became a way of doing that, but as my wife would and children would tell you, it can get a bit obsessive. <laughs> um, I've been a, a remarkable number of places that I would have never been otherwise, seen landscapes I never would have seen otherwise because of this sort of birding thing. Mm-hmm. And I th- the thing that sort of brings a lot of it together for me is all of these things give me a sense of delight. Mm-hmm. It's just a delight to discover new things about the world um on the negative side of it for me it's a retreat sometimes mm-hmm. um it you know like you talk about books being your friends i totally get that they are and and when life is har- hard and hostile and difficult there's nothing better than a friend and so to be able to go pick up a book and just kind of retreat into it is for me um a plus, but of course, there's a, a negative side of it, which is I'm not doing business with the complications in my life at that moment. And, you know, Meg's good at checking me on that and, um, and making room for it when I need it too, uh, which is good. But I, I, when that, that withdrawal stance definitely comes out in, in the library, you know, cause I can go, I can go tuck in there and be free from all the cares and have a world that might make sense where the one external to me at the moment doesn't. And, and that's pretty powerful for good and bad. Right. The bad, maybe the bad side of that for a five would be that uh, it removes you from the pressure to be in relationship. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so it, between the internet and books, fives, you know, have to be careful, right, that they don't retreat to the point that they become isolated. I mean, it's one thing to have solitude, but isolation is a different creature, right? Yeah. How about the dark side for you guys? Like, what is this driver? What is this compulsive need for information about? Yeah, I think for me, it's trying to, I, I mentioned this, I think, earlier, that I try to systemize things when I feel stressed, so another example would be when I had my first kid, um, I was really, it was very stressful for me to be a mother the first, at least the first couple months. And so instead of letting go, I, again, made lists. Okay, when did they eat? When did they sleep? When did they do this? So I could, because I couldn't, in my gut, I couldn't figure out when they needed those things because I was new at it. So Instead, I tried to make it a a list of things so I could look at it and in my brain figure out this is happening. Oh, okay, it must be time to do this. 
you know. And I find that when I'm stressed out, I do that to my detriment. It makes me grasp instead of let go. Um, and for instance, in the studio, I can tell when I, I now know when I get in my head, I'll just keep looping and making the same mistakes or, or not, I will lose inspiration. And I have finally discovered one of the greatest things for me as a five is to do something physical, like be outside or, but for me, even in the studio, I can just cover my eyes and rock to get back in the zone, to get back in my gut so that I am no longer just trying to solve the problem in my brain, I'm going to my gut. And there's something about that that is helpful for me. Um, it's again, it breaks the spell of my brain taking over. So this is such an important idea about, um, you know, why this hoarding of knowledge or information, because it, it ties into the deadly sin or the passion of the five, which of course is avarice, which I think is so important for people to understand what is going on underneath it. So Kenny, I, I, again, I want to get to all three of you on this. What What's underneath it for you? Well, I echo what the others have said. Um, the only thing I would add, you know, you mentioned the internet and books. Well, you put those things together and you have Amazon. <laughs> 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 and I have this kind of symbiotic relationship with Amazon. I sell books on Amazon. I buy books on Amazon. And there's one, like one indicator of of me being average or unhealthy in my number, is how much I'm buying books. Mm. And I actually every year for Lent give up buying books. Wow. Just because I I'm like, because my first instinct when I need facing a problem find a book about it yes <laughs> rather than pray talk right. to someone find a book about it and i'm told from fives that part of that is if i can understand and perceive right if i can understand right. then i'll be safe you know i'll be safe from the unpredictable chaotic world threatening world in in which i live so oh, wait i feel that both for myself and the world like, if we can all just understand, we'll all agree, and we'll all get along, mm, you know? Right. It's all through our brain. So. Yeah, I've noticed, like, even in when I think about resolving conflict, I think, what is the thought or the concept that will integrate this for these people? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So James Joyce has a character who I think is a five. It's in Dubliners, which I'm sure a couple of you have read, right? Um, and he says about this character, he says, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people feel when they're talking to fives as if they're not actually at home in their body, that they're disembodied, right? Um, which kind of does give them the impression of aloofness or distance in the moment. Is that your experience? And if so, why? Like why, um, because you think about eights, right? Nines and ones, very in the body, right? Especially eights, right? Crazy in the body. What is it about fives that, like what's going on? Like that, that sometimes you look in a five's eyes and they get, I have a friend of mine, Hillary, I love to say he, um, especially he's a theologian and a psychologist. He has a PhD in both. Um, and sometimes he'll look at me with what I call the snow owl eyes. He just blinks. He looks at me with a blank face and he just <laughs> blinks like he's sitting on a tree branch like an owl, you know? What's happening in that moment? 
We call that the Luna Lovegood. Do you know Harry Potter? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, I think sometimes we're just thinking of other things and therefore, I mean, I don't know for you guys, but for me, I'm just, there's a point where like when I'm bringing my kids home from school and they're talking to me, I will totally check out. And now my sweet daughter is used to it. She's She'll turn to me and go, Mom, you're doing it. <laughs> and I and I have to snap back in. I just think that I get distracted or I think about something that just happened. A lot of times it's that. It's thinking about something ahead of time or assessing it afterwards. Mm, preview and review, that's Preview called. and review. I feel like I do so much of that, especially if I've seen people. And so sometimes it's that. but Or thinking about something that I heard, you know, is that true? Is it not true? You know, what do I think of that? So I don't know. What do you, I'm curious though. There was a, uh, a scene when I was in seminary. Uh, we, our children were young at the time and it was dinner and I'd been working on a paper all day and sometimes it just happens and I don't even know it, but I just go in my head, which means I'm not present. And all of a sudden my wife says, Kenny, Seth is talking to you right at the dinner table. And I just, I'm like, oh. And so just, just in the, uh, it just transitions. You go into your head and don't, don't even recognize that's where you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And include right down to the, you know, honey, so-and-so is talking to you. <laughs> Agreed. Um, I'm always solving problems. And thinking through arguments and puzzling stuff out. And, you know, I don't know if it's, it, it's clinically probably something like ADD, but for me, it's just how my mind works. And I'm always just trying to suss stuff out. And so in any given moment, I'm thinking about six problems. Um, and one of them will be far more interesting than whatever else is happening, or just more demanding than whatever else is happening and apparently demanding and so i'll i'll just drift into my head and i'll be working on that and then somebody will look at me and i'll realize oh this something else is happening and i'm not a party to it any longer what what you, you're married to a four you're married to a seven and you're married to a four okay and i wonder i think sometimes and, and kenny you're the exception in the room but it seems to me that oftentimes fives marry people in the heart triad it's almost like they're outsourcing emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can have your emotions and mine. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this is awesome. And I think, you know, what 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 do you think the attraction is to you to someone who's in the, uh, you know, is actually in the the head or the mental triad with you? What's the kind of the what was the attraction? And we all have these little dramas going on unconsciously for why we marry the people that we do, right? What what was the attraction for you moving toward a seven? Well, I, w I would describe, uh, in fact, we were in marriage counseling early in our marriage, and the counselor looked at my wife and said, do you know that you feel for him? Wow. And and that was sort of an aha moment. So I think that's, that's still true, even though she's a seven. Uh, I think part of the attraction for me is that both of us are pretty – uh, experience oriented and uh, I uh, the seven brings this kind of creativity to problem solving that and she doesn't let me um, stay withdrawn 
She kind of right. holds me accountable. So they're in that aggressive stance. Right. They move so aggressively. Aggressive, not in the negative sense. It's just this sense of they move right at people. Right. They go right to them. And she, I mean, I'm very thankful, she would never indulge my fear or anxiety. Mm. I have a, uh, a couple uh, uh, friends who are, one's a seven, one's a five. And before they knew the Enneagram, this was a great source of stress. They would go to parties, and the seven would be like, I want to get there first, and I want to leave last, you know, and essentially, and then dance on the table somewhere in between. And uh, the five would be like, I've got till from six thirty to seven thirty at this party because it may be very loud, and that all that external stimulus is really draining for me. Small talk is super draining for me. Uh, trying to find my place in here is hard socially. I can't really find my where do I click in and feel like I'm part of the group rather than a satellite observing it? You know, how do I get off the frame and into the picture of what's going on here? Um, and I would imagine being married to a seven would be great because you both love fascinating ideas, you know? Yeah, and over the years, that that sort of pattern has changed where my wife is more and more ready to leave early. I often want to stay longer, so we've sort of rubbed off on each other mm. in some ways. To yeah, that that's been true in my marriage. I um, now am much more introverted than Annie. I'm always dragging out a door somewhere, mm. you know, mm. and she's stopping with every person on the way out to talk. And I'm like, we've got to go, we've got to go, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, that's a I love hearing about s people who are fives and sevens because they really have to do some work. You know, usually around, and so that couple, by the way, I was mentioning, they take two cars to parties now. And it's so, they know the Enneagram, it's like, oh yeah, I get it. And then also to stretch each other, he'll, he'll say to her, you know, maybe you could stand the discipline of leaving a little bit early and being okay being alone. And maybe I need to press myself, she'll say, or you need to press yourself to stay a little bit longer and be engaged with people. You know, hmm. again, maybe that's spiritual practice. You know, maybe that's that's spiritual practice. Uh, Laura, you said something earlier. I want to circle back in on because, again, big feature for for fives. You make lists. Yeah. You color code lists. I do. Uh, you talked about, you know, in body. You know, I think of myself as body, head, and mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So a big defense strategy for fives is compartmentalization. Right sort of putting everything neatly into boxes, friends, hobbies, uh, work, uh, children, you know, the, and, and what's happening there, people? Like, for me, <laughs> life is a soup. You know, it's soup. It's like, you know, carrots and potatoes and broth and like every other vegetable known to humankind. It's just soup. But for you, it's much more boxed, right? And, and, and you know, sort of codified, you know, the internal world. What so what's compartmentalization about? Well, I'll actually just um, say that for me, I have four kids, and they kind of make compartmentalization impossible. <laughs> so I, I get the impulse, but um, my workday is often broken up by my kids, and um, my interests uh, are often interrupted uh, by my kids. And so... Even though I kind of want to hold the dam sometimes and have a place where just that one thing is happening, it rarely ever works out like that. And so um, 
it's probably one of those examples of where God has used my children to mature me. Um, I will say the other penny dropped when I went to one of the conferences and you guys talked about the worst nightmare for a five is to be in an accident and be at the hospital and all their people come from all their different parts of life. Um, that kind of nailed it for me because I do feel like I have different groups of friends. Um, and it's not that I don't want them to know each other. It's just, I, it just feels awkward, you know? Um, and I don't know why we do that, why we compartmentalize. Um, I don't know any other way. I'm going to think about that and get back. Mm. With you. Yeah. I've thought about it too. And I, I think it's compartmentalizing is, is a way of describing it. The, the other, uh, I can re- really relate to the different kinds of friends, and even uh, as I was describing my, you know, educational years, having these sort of alter ego, but it's sort of like I have friends that share different parts of what I like. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And it seems unfair to them to impose more of myself on them than they can, they could appreciate. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> So you're, what you're discussing here is the compartmentalization of relationships, right? Like you, like fives typically have multiple friend groups. Like you have your birding group and you have your, your church group. And then, and uh, you know, very, very infrequently do they get together. You know, like <clears throat> I love throwing parties where I get the craziest assemblage of people, you know, like, oh, this person's a songwriter and this person's, you know, a, a priest and this one's a crazy atheist. And this one is, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I love to see what happens, you know. But fives typically say, okay, well, this group's coming over tonight, and then, you know, this group's coming over then. One of the reasons that teachers of the Enneagram believe that fives do this, because that fives self-report this way, is it dampens feelings, right? It it kind of uh, is a sort of a feeling management system as well, and I don't know if that resonates for you. I have to think about it. I, yeah, yep. me too. Okay. I, I feel like the thing you said really resonates with me. Is I feel like I've read this about fives. We don't want to impose on other people. Like I don't have a lot of needs. I'm pretty independent. Uh, I won't ask you to take too much of me on. So I think there's something about that with like I don't want my friends who are into music to have to deal with uh, things that they're not interested in. And so something about that actually Mm -hmm. but maybe it is emotionally based too i mean that is emotional you don't want to be intimate with everybody the same way so Lori, because you're speaking i want to just hone in on something that's gender specific okay okay because again as you were we were all saying you know it's easier to find male fives right uh at least in my social universe than it is to find women fives now we know some people say that eight uh, women are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram for all sorts of reasons that we've talked about on other shows. But I suspect that's true of women who are fives too, because eight women are culturally look frowned on, right? Because mm-hmm. they get looked on as bitches because they're mm-hmm. so aggressive and strong leaders and confrontational. Mm-hmm. But I think because our culture says that all women should be kind of like twos, you know, nurturing and loving and hugging, but I would imagine for five women, they feel very misunderstood in terms of gender as well. Yeah. I mean, I think. <laughs> but I don't know. 
I don't know how to respond to that. I, I think that's just, uh, I, I do think as we become, like I see people 10 years younger than me, women who don't have the same, they were not raised that way, the two way. <laughs> so they seem more able to be analytical, you know, uh, and so I wonder if that will fade eventually mm. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I didn't even know. I, it took me a while to figure out I was a five. And it's been good for me to realize it because now I can freely embrace things that I had not embraced because I thought, oh, I don't, I'm an artist. Artists don't do that. But now I see, oh, I've always had this there. I just didn't think I was supposed to, you know. Mm. I don't know. I, I've had several women fives at conferences come up, and they're so relieved. It's like such a permission-giving thing, you know, because they're not this uh, highly emotionally expressive person, and they always felt like, gosh, am I cold-hearted? Am I, am I not connected to my children or my spouse or my friends? You know, and I think it's a particular struggle for women for who are fives you know men can i think get away with it a, a lot easier you know and of course i think to your point <laughs> men get away with a lot of things more <laughs> easily in our culture but um i think in terms of gender stereotypes not types but gender stereotypes we expect men to be that way but we don't expect women yeah, to, mm -hmm. to I, be that I way. resonate with feeling relieved like uh when i have some very effusive friends that i've always felt very uncomfortable with when they are super you know I don't know, complimentary or super effusive. And I always just kind of look like a deer in headlights mm. um, because that's not super comfortable for me. And so sometimes it is hard for me. I grew up with all men and went on the road with all men. And I'm used to that kind of language a lot of times where it's just, you know, pat on the mm. back and mm. move on. <laughs> yeah. um, and now I feel like I get to be that way. Mm. I don't have to, you know, be another way. Mm. So. So I, I, I'll just float this as a theory because going back to sort of the body discussion, it's interesting to me that one, a theme that sort of emerged over the years for me is sort of theological thinking about embodiment as well as this embrace of the spirituality of ordinary life. And I think it's, I, it's interesting to me because I struggle with it. And so I think fives have a hard time with the mundane routines of life and I think motherhood presents you with those things in ways that are very challenging and I wonder if some of some of it has to do with just the struggle of of a five with just the mundane yeah because fives repetitive get, yeah. routine kind of things and this is actually speaking to your relationship with your wife as well but globally or universally to all of fives i think which they get bored very easily mm -hmm. you know it's like i got to move on to another subject you know i've got to move on to another idea Bec and so you know people might think oh they they hunker down and they you know like a jane goodall or someone like that. i bet you if you hung out with jane goodall People would be amazed that she has lots of other interests outside mm. of anthropology. You know what I mean? Like she's she may have a oh I'm an expert in you know uh, who knows what you know shortwave radios or something you know, but but you know they do get bored. They they need constant sort of intellectual stimulation, and so they have to go to lots of different silos. You know, of, of pools of knowledge to explore and discover brave new worlds, right? <laughs> brave brave new worlds, right? All right, so let's let's come. To, you know, I want to honor your time. So, how do fives love other people? 
Okay. <laughs> You're oh, he just handed the mic off. He just handed the mic off. But how do you, how do you express love? Um, well, uh, I think I try to be physical with my love, especially for my kids. I try to be very physically affectionate uh, with them. Lots of hugs. And um, I like to horse around with my boys. Um, Who are dear. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty awesome. Um, with, with Megan, I try to very intentionally um, work with her emotions. So she is very uh, forward uh, with her feelings. Even when she's not being forward with her feelings, she's forward with her feelings. Um, they're kind of like right there. And I try as often as I, as I can to just lean into it and be there with her um, in the midst of whatever she's going through. And I find that that's great for us. It's um, great for me also. And I get to see the results in her because there's connection there and there's um, trust that's, that's built there and, and all of that. And I think that um, if I were to behave uh, in, a, in that withdrawal way, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't receive any of that benefit. I wouldn't see any of that good. But instead, uh, because I do try to lean in, it, it's like almost immediate with her, the, the benefit. And so it, it incentivizes me to keep on doing it and I think I've gotten almost expert at loving Megan over the years mm, that's wonderful Lori how about you uh loving well is that what you're asking okay or just um, express love how to, how to, how do I express love? Uh, a lot of times it's like things like baking pies I mean I feel like sometimes all of those kinds of things are secretly loaded with my love <laughs> Um, because I don't always do a great job with my language. So if I brought you a pie, <laughs> I love you a lot. Um, or Where's my pie? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'll bring you one. Um, <laughs> it's coming. Um, or um, listening. I feel like listening is one of the ways that I show love, to try to listen and keep secrets. Like mm -hmm. if you tell me something that is vulnerable, I value privacy so much and dignity that I am not going to tell anybody um, because that's just important to me. So that's another way. Um, and accepting you. I, I feel like unless there's been some kind of um, rupture in the relationship, there are very few things that shock me. Um, and I can handle darkness and weirdness in my friends. Mm. So I... I just want to be present. It, it's hard for me to be present sometimes, but I feel like because it's so hard, then when I'm present, you know I love you because <laughs> mm. I'm making the effort, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty physically expressive. I, you know, I, I touch and hug a lot. Uh, all of my family don't always, you know, appreciate that even. Uh, but And I'm also... Uh, with Laura, we ha we spend a lot of time talking, and I uh, we we that's one thing we really share, and we really enjoy just sharing our day, connecting about what the, the events of the day, processing our day together. And I would say that I'm fiercely devoted to my family in a small circle of friends, 
that I'll do almost anything for them. I'll enter chaos. Uh, I'll go there no matter what um, within that circle. But it's it's a fairly small circle. It's actually a little surprising in one way because fives are not often tactile. You know, they, they, they sort of have a zone of physical defense around them. Now, goes to show you that the Enneagram is a watercolor, not an x-ray. Again, I, that's right. a favorite mantra of mine, but um, that it doesn't account for the nuance and the individuality of the experience of every, not everybody's experience is identical. You know, uh, that I think is when we start to lapse into stereotype rather than, rather than into typing. So tell our, our, our friends out who are listening right now, how can we best love fives? Uh, call me out of myself. Um, notice if it's not too much trouble when I'm when I am withdrawing and and stop me. Just check me long enough for me to to be present to whatever is driving me to do that and and make a different choice. Mm. Mm. Kenny, how about you? Uh, I would totally agree with that, and I would add, uh, give me time to talk mm-hmm. because it takes me a while to formulate and say what I want to say, and it, there's just more pauses mm-hmm. before I say the next thing. <laughs> so here's something funny. I said to uh, my engineer producer, Anthony, who's right behind me here, that um, I was anticipating, I said, man, you may have to do a lot of edits. And he said, why? I said, well, fives have files inside files inside files inside files, and so the retrieval can take a while. You know, if I, you ask a question of five, sometimes it just takes a while, and you, you just have to be patient. And actually, don't rush them. They're not uncomfortable during the retrieval process. They, they're just retrieving, and if you pressure them, they'll be like, give me time to think. How can I answer you unless you give me time to think? So I've just learned with fives, if you ask a question, you know, sit back, have a cigarette, you know, and wait a while, because if, if particular questions require a longer retrieval. They won't wing it. You know, they, they'll think, and then they'll answer when they've really formulated. In, like, Joel, I think about you in particular. You know, you want to make sure that what you're about to say is inarguable in some ways. <laughs> you know, that you've really thought it out, and, you know, I'm going to make sure that when I say this, it's sort of indisputable, Right. you know? Lori, how about you? How can how can folks love fives? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything that's been said. Um and I would say, yeah, be patient, draw things out. It may take me a minute to feel safe. Um, and also help me have a sense of humor. The, 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 uh, we always, Don and I have the phrase, he'll often say, oh, you're poor shriveled five heart. <laughs> and it actually <laughs> helps me remember, yeah, I'm doing that thing where I'm feeling shrivelly. Um, and I, I tell him he's fouring out. So, you know, it works out both ways. But just having a sense of humor about myself helps mm. me kind of, especially if I get upset or mad, sometimes it just helps. Mm. So, Well, today you have confirmed and helped me understand why it is that I love five so much. And, and I suspect that folks who are listening, there are probably a category like me who go, oh, yeah, now, now I that has helped illuminate even more why I love fives. And there's a whole other group that are like, now I understand. And that is so much about what this show is. It's about learning 
to understand, to have compassion for, empathy for, and uh, to, you know, uh, connect with other human beings uh, with awareness, you know, and with, with love, you know. And um, so I thank each of you so, so much because my little heart right now is just a flame with joy uh, that others are going to see and understand fives in a new way. So I love all three of you. And would you promise to come back? Absolutely. All right. Fantastic. Like I promised, that was an amazing show. And I have some transformational tips that I want to pass on to fives before we, uh, before we close out. So fives observe life from a distance rather than jumping in and uh, participating in it. They're actively watching all the time, taking in information and filing it away for future worse <laughs> use. So check it out. Knowledge and information of almost any kind provide fives with this sense of control and a defense against feelings of inadequacy. So if you're a five just getting started on the journey toward wholeness, here's what I want you to do. First, really start paying attention to what you ignore in life. Like think about the areas of your life you have cut off. Is it friendship, finances, self-care, taking care of your home environment, like just identify one area at a time and then focus your energy on developing that aspect of yourself. Second, I want you to practice connecting to your emotions in real time. Allow your feelings to arise naturally and just experience them in the present moment. When something happens that seems to elicit emotions in others, listen, just try to feel with them in the moment rather than saving those feelings you know, to process later on. Third, ask yourself this, when is enough enough? It may be really difficult for you to end a project because you may feel like you need to do more research or reading to make sure you've covered all your bases, okay? But don't do it. I mean, stop and ask yourself the question, when is enough enough? Okay, finally, I want you to try an activity that'll connect your mind with your body. So like lots of fives tell me that yoga, breath work, and meditation can help them quiet their minds and help them overcome this disconnect they feel between their body and their head. And as you become more present in the moment, you'll find that you can build on that to more confidently engage in life and enjoy the beauty and wonder of everything that's around you. Well, that's all I have for today. If you enjoyed today's show or have suggestions for future episodes and guests, I'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, typologypodcast.com, and submit a question or comment. I'd also really appreciate it if you would go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show because it really helps folks discover it. And finally, I want to remind our listeners again that today's show was sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. You can get matched with your perfect therapist who can put you on the path to a happier life and to becoming your best and truest self. 
for a special offer for our listeners. Visit Talkspace.com forward slash typology. That's Talkspace, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E dot com forward slash typology, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y. <gasps> Big breath, Ian. And now, until next week, remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Till next week, folks. See ya.